Hello and welcome to the revised, updated, hopefully improved, learned, heard, and stirred podcast. I'm your host, Chanel Kenner, a dietitian to be. I'm currently attending Cal State University Northridge, where I am a nutrition dietetic student, and UCLA, where I'm completing my pre med classes. What that basically means is that I don't sleep. I'm also a wife and mom to a funny, precocious, and precious two-and-a-half-year-old Sophie, who is no longer my sidekick because she's in preschool, and TG for that. As a disclaimer, the information I provide on this podcast is not meant to be interpreted as or used in place of medical advice. It's been a while, fam. I started this podcast very much in the trenches of diet culture, It's only been in the last year, really, that I would say I became clear on what my nutrition philosophy is and what it means to be anti-diet. I've been talking about intuitive eating for a couple of years now, but I was still supporting diety things like intermittent fasting and fasted workouts and metabolic flexibility, so you won't find any of those episodes anymore on here. These topics are things I think have merit from a science perspective, and I love reading the research on them, but I think they belong in a lab, and they're not helpful for the general population. Reason being, it is so easy for lines to get blurred, for intermittent fasting to become just another starvation diet. It's hard to do these things correctly. It's way too easy to do them in a harmful way. So... I don't share the science about things like that anymore because then I get questions like, how do I do this? And I just don't think it's helpful for anyone. Nutrition is a young science. It's complicated and it's personal. My new goal for this podcast is to tackle important conversations about social justice issues related to intuitive eating, health at every size, food and health access, and why health isn't one size fits all, and health deserves very thick air quotes. This podcast isn't about truth. Science isn't built on facts. It's an exploration of the world and living organisms that inhabit it. This podcast is about embracing the gray, the nuance, asking questions, interpreting the research from a neutral place without judgment. So what does anti-diet mean? Well, for one thing, it doesn't mean anti-health. Trolls on social media love to slide into my DMs and tell me things like, you're wrong and go educate yourself. And I'm like, cool, thank you so much. This five years of science education I'm receiving through a nationally accredited nutrition program to become a health expert is teaching me absolutely nothing. I should really go learn something. In all seriousness, what Anti-diet represents to me is the opposite of diet culture, which is very black and white. On a broad level, anti-diet is just being anti-diets and diet culture. But on a deeper level, I am anti-extremes when it comes to food and nutrition specifically, but really all areas of life. Diets breed all kinds of fear around food. I didn't understand this fully until I created my nutrition Instagram account about three and a half, four years ago, and I started getting messages from women, mostly in the U.S., but other countries as well, and there started to be this theme that food, but really food relationships, are a really big problem, and the thing is, it's not food's fault. It is our culture. It is mental health. It is food access and health access. 
And I think health literacy is a big issue. We simply don't put money into teaching people what food can do for them in a way that is not shrouded in this concern about obesity. I'll get to that later, but um, that, that's really my, my major thoughts. Ultimately, we live in a culture that doesn't embrace the gray. We don't embrace different body sizes, skin tones, ethnicities, genderqueer, LGBTQ, the list goes on. We live in a culture that would have us believe that the European thin ideal, which is something society decided, not biology, is the ultimate goal that everyone should be striving for all the time. Because if you weren't born that way, if you weren't born naturally thin, there's something wrong with you. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We have a really hard time accepting that the way we see the world and our experience moving through the world is not the same as everyone else. We conflate weight and health issues. And by the way, the real weight issue in this country is weight stigma. We treat people in larger bodies really crappy. And I think a huge part of that is fear. It is so ingrained in us that being fat is the ultimate failure. You must be lazy and not trying and eating all the wrong things and definitely too much of all the things. But I've spoken to at least a thousand women on social media who reside in larger bodies who have literally tried every diet known to humankind and they're still not thin. Many of them struggle or have struggled with disordered eating, if not full-blown eating disorders at some point in their life. Their failure thick air quotes, to achieve our cultural ideal isn't a moral flaw, it is literally genetic. And their harmful starvation behaviors that elicit concern when it's someone in a smaller body are congratulated because we believe that larger bodies are less deserving of nourishment. We don't question whether or not their dieting is actually healthy. Chronic disease is a big problem in our country, and I need to highlight that chronic diseases like diabetes and heart disease are primarily a result of lifestyle behaviors, not body size. But dieting doesn't address long-term sustainable health-promoting behaviors that can actually prevent diabetes and heart disease and other chronic diseases. And that is the area of health that I'm interested in helping people find, the preventative side that has nothing to do with the size of their body or eating in a perfect way because it doesn't exist. Health-promoting behaviors are not about weight or body size. They're about movement and foods that make a person feel good. And feeling is subjective, right? What one person might consider to be wonderful, another person won't. I'm not going to tell someone all the reasons they should eat broccoli if they don't like it. Just as I'm not going to tell vegetarians that they should eat meat simply because I do. Or because I can find research to support meat being superior to plant proteins. You can, you can find research to support anything you believe to be true. Just ask Google. Dogma and nutrition is a big problem, and the loudest voices are usually the least qualified to give nutrition advice. They're also usually promoting things that have worked for them, as if their specific eating and fitness habits are appropriate for everyone. This is incredibly dangerous, but the biggest issue is the weight thing. Weight and health are not synonymous. You'll be hard-pressed to find any study that clearly supports this, because nearly every population-level study seems to find that overweight people have worse cardiovascular health than thin people. There's a wide range found in studies about the metabolic health of overweight individuals, anywhere from one-third to three-quarters. That's a big discrepancy. 
They show no signs of high blood pressure, insulin resistance, or high cholesterol. About 25% of non-overweight people, by contrast, are considered by epidemiologists as quote-unquote lean unhealthy. A 2016 study that followed participants for 19 years on average found that skinny people who don't live a healthy lifestyle were twice as likely to develop diabetes as fit, overweight people. This supports the notion that it's ultimately lifestyle habits that matter most. The main issue is that we have made obesity a public health crisis, which is basically to say that rather than look deeply into the root causes of our health issues, we are simply blaming fat people for being fat. It is a fear of fat, either because someone actually is overweight or afraid of becoming so, that drives Americans to spend more on dieting every year than we spend on popular entertainment. 45% of adults say they're preoccupied with their weight some of or all of the time. Nearly half of three to six-year-old girls say they worry about being fat. The most concerning part of all of this for me is the emotional toll that being in a larger body has on someone in that body. There's a stigma associated with it, and even people who are in larger bodies judge others who are. But the biggest critics, according to research, are the family members of individuals who are in larger bodies. And that's really frustrating. The people you should be able to count on to support you and to show compassion are people in your own family. And of course, there's the issue with treatment for medical professionals. As a dietitian to be I don't like that doctors who receive less than 20 hours of nutrition education in medical school are giving people nutrition advice. And I love doctors a lot. I don't like that. I know there's an issue with insurance coverage. People are usually only covered for specific diseases such as diabetes and other chronic diseases to see a dietitian. I hope to help change this in some way by getting more involved on the public policy side of things. We need a major shift in spend towards disease prevention versus treatment, but that's a rabbit hole I'm not going to venture down today. The biggest contributor, no doubt, to the quote-unquote obesity epidemic is food quality. Healthy food is more expensive than processed food, pure and simple. It's nearly impossible to find a processed food that doesn't have added sugar in it. And sugar is linked to impaired insulin sensitivity and liver function. That's my science hat speaking, not my anti-diet hat. Just to clarify, that is just the research. Every biological system from metabolism, nutrient absorption, hunger hormones that control appetite and satiety are impacted by a high sugar, low fiber diet. I would argue that fiber is probably a bigger issue than sugar. Only 4% of agricultural subsidies are allocated to fruits and vegetables, which contain the most fiber and no added sugar. As a result, the healthiest foods can cost up to eight times more calorie for calorie than processed foods. Food is a much more complicated aspect of the issue, which is why I believe that weight perception is an area that we can more immediately improve the lives of larger bodied people. Our relationship with food, exercise, and body image are really complex, and we have to acknowledge that. Applying a one-size-fits-all approach to a problem that's so personal isn't only impossible, but damaging. In my own experience, I can attest to how important personalization is. There isn't one diet or a single approach that will work for everyone. To help people on a macro level, we have to reach them on a personal one. The medical community needs to apply more empathy and less judgment towards people who live in larger bodies, and I think this starts in our education system. 
I am in the thick of it and I can tell you it is incredibly fat phobic and incredibly archaic in terms of teaching calories and weight and all of these things. And we need to do more bias education, I think. We need to ensure that people going into healthcare are able to work with people objectively and not apply judgment towards those people. I will always be a proponent of helping people find health-promoting habits that work for them and working towards making this more accessible for everyone. Because health matters. It isn't the only thing that matters, but access to it, access to adequate health care and preventative health care should be available for everyone. It's a human right. In conclusion, weight and health are not synonymous. Fat shaming needs to end and we need a lot more money shifted towards nutrition education that isn't steeped in diet culture, as well as preventative medicine and away from obesity research, which is where most of the money goes now. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, etc. about today's episode, please email me at chanelgoldkenner at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I think